You're listening to Therapy for Your Money, a podcast about all things money and finance for therapy practice owners. If you want to feel confident and in control of your financial life, then you've come to the right spot. I'm your host, Julie Harris. I'm an accountant and the owner of Green Oak Accounting. My firm specializes in working with private practices across the U.S., and my team and I have worked with hundreds of private practice owners. I'm on a mission to share all the best practices I've learned along the way because I want you to have a profitable private practice. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Therapy for Your Money. Today, we have the lovely Vanessa Newton for you. I'm very uh, excited to chat with her about uh, different ways that we can provide accessible care for clients and community. So Vanessa, welcome. Hi. Uh, I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Tell us about uh, who you are and what you do. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. My name is Vanessa Newton. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and clinical supervisor here in Austin, Texas. Um, I'm a group practice owner. Uh, my group practice is Colors Boston Counseling, and I also run a business consultation um, coaching um, business called Brave and Well, where I provide support to fellow therapists and healers around launching a business or growing their business. Um, I'm first generation Latina. I'm uh, originally from McAllen down south and so born and raised in Texas. And um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. All right. Very, very good. Thank you. Um, and so we'll jump right in. I mean, this conversation is so interesting uh, because for so many practice owners, it's a little bit of a struggle of wanting to uh, be accessible to people in their community and wanting to to give back, um, but also needing to make money in the business. Like those things can all happen concurrently, but it's really challenging to do to do it well, right? Right. Very challenging, and I've learned a lot along the way. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so how do you create accessible care for clients like in your group practice? Yeah. I mean, I think we do it a few ways. You know, I launched my group practice in 2018 and had started under a contractor model and um, we've always been an insurance paying practice. So we're, we're a combination um, self-pay and insurance pay. And so I think our top four ways that we create accessibility is we offer sliding scale rates, but we cap our sliding scale rates to ensure that clinicians are getting paid for their hard work and that the business is not in the red, right? And so that's important to us. Um, we're also paneled with a few insurance companies and that's a value of ours that we are paneled with insurance companies, but our team is a mixture of provisioning licensed therapists and fully licensed therapists. And in Texas, provisioning licensed therapists can't be credentialed with insurance. And so um, we are, you know, cash pay and insurance pay both. And I, to me, in taking insurance is a way to create access. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we also partner with local agencies and nonprofits and different companies around town that cover the cost, the full cost of therapy services for clients that they refer to us. Um, so we have about eight partnerships right now where, you know, these organizations send clients to us. They pay us our full fee for services at no cost to the client. Um, and then we offer lower fee offerings like groups and workshops to create more accessibility for those who can't fully take on the therapy cost. Okay. So I, so much, so many things to unpack here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to go back to your partnerships with nonprofits in the community. 
Um, how did that come about? How did you set that up? Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Million dollar question, right? right. I think so relationship building is really important to us. And, and when I think about marketing, I think about connection and relationships. Um, and to me, that's what marketing is. And when I went into solo practice for myself back in 2015, that was all I did was build relationships with organizations and people that either aligned with my mission and my vision or served a population of people that were my ideal client, essentially. And so as the years went on, you know, practicing consistency and getting in front of them and saying, you know, I'm growing my practice, I'm growing my team. And in our practice, you know, is is unique in a sense that we are very predominantly black and brown therapist community, right, which is very rare to see in our area. Um, and we know that clients who come to us seeking services are representative of our own identity. Right. Mm -hmm. And they need support. And so who are the organizations in the community who are willing to support? And so we have a fiscal sponsorship with a nonprofit in town where they apply for grants and whatever money they get for those grants around wellness they partner with us to allocate that money to us so that they pay us directly for services. And then the clients that are funneled to us, you know, we get to serve. And so that's one way. Um, you know, I think that we virtually pay $0 for marketing our group practice since okay. it was founded. And I think it's because we're really, yeah, we're really diligent and intentional about building relationships. And we want people to know that, we're here to create accessibility, but also provide high quality services. Um, and so we also offer organizational support. And so through, you know, I think the thing about it is that we want to be clear about what we can offer in exchange for time and resources, right? That we're not just here to take funds from people, but we, but it's an exchange of energy. Um, and you know, all these partnerships are, are partnerships we've had since 2018. And I think that that is, that is one of the ways that we create accessibility, but we also have a director of equity on our team. Um, and her job is really around community building, applying for grants, connecting and being out there and, and saying we're available to support who needs that support. Okay. So, uh, the director of equity, is that a yeah. clinician that's on your team that also, uh, wears that hat or is that a, a full-time just, uh, community right. outreach position? Yeah. It's a newer position. She's a, a clinician, a full-time clinician, okay. and she does the clinical director work part-time, but she's salary. So okay. she gets paid a salary for both. Got it. Okay. I, I asked because I know I'm sure some of our listeners are wondering like, okay, tell me about this position. How is that paid? Like, how is that structured? Yeah. Uh, but so when you are partnering uh, with organizations in the community, are you getting paid your full fee for those sessions? Are they sending clients? Like, how is that work? How's that yeah. working? Yeah, we do get paid our full fee. Um, we're, 
you know, we're really clear that that is the expectation of mm-hmm. the partnership, just because we want our clinicians to get paid what they deserve. Um, and so, yes, it is our full fee. Um, so this one partnership is through fiscal sponsorship. So they have the grant money. We invoice them for the services we provide. They pay the invoice and then we pay the clinician. So it's kind of a rerouting of of funds. The other partnerships are just invoicing us directly. So they refer clients to us and then we invoice them directly for services provided, leaving out PHI, of course, um, and just saying, you know, X hours were provided for this week. Um, This is how much, you know, the invoice is for, and then they pay us directly and then we pay out our clinicians. Got it. And so is the is the vetting process of deciding like who deserves services, who needs them, who um, is not able to pay for them? Like, is that on the partner or does that fall on your team? That falls on the partner. So we do the vetting around, is this an organization that is in alignment with our mission and our vision and the the population we're serving, right? Do they align with who we are? Um, So we do that vetting. And from there, we trust that the clients that they're sending to us are clients that they know we can serve. And so there's usually a meeting at the beginning to sit down and get clear about who's on our team, the specialties that they they have, you know, what types of therapy services and and treatment modalities they work from because our team is multidisciplinary. So every clinician has a different niche and specialty. Um, And so, you know, we serve all ages, all populations. Got it. Um, And so has it ever been challenging to get buy-in to your team uh, on these partnerships? It hasn't been. I mean, you know, everybody, our hiring and onboarding process has, we've really tightened it up and have spent a lot of time getting clear on who our ideal clinician is. And it's really important to us that clinicians who join our team want to do more than just provide one-on-one therapy Mm. services, right? That you're interested in serving the community in a broader way. Um, And so, you know, for us, it's all about transparency and clarity, right? If we have partnerships that are in the works or are on the horizon, we're bringing that to our team and we're saying, look, this is a partnership that we're working on. Does anyone have concerns or questions? This is how it's going to work. So being really transparent about that kind of on the front end before it actually takes place um, and getting feedback on how partnerships went. You know, we just did a round of, we got like $10,000 from through a fiscal sponsorship. And um, there was an application process. So clients had to apply and meet a certain criteria to be able to get access to those funds that the fiscal sponsor managed. And then our client coordinator, you know, picked up and matched them with the clinician and scheduled them. Um, But after that money, after we had gone through that money, we held kind of like a focus group with our team and clinicians who served those clients to say what went well and what could we do better? Because this is a partnership we want to have for a long time and we want to make sure that, you know, we're improving it. And so I think getting feedback is really important and talking about, you know, how we can get clinicians involved in the process as well. Um, So that is something our director of equity is always getting feedback from our team about. Okay. And I would imagine that 
in the hiring and recruiting process, there are probably some clinicians who kind of self-select out, right? If they're not in line with the values of the organization, because it sounds like that's a very, very, at the very forefront of everything you do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We live, we try to live it out so much that, you know, we know kind of right away in an interview, whether this is in alignment or not. Okay. Um, So I want to go back to something that you said earlier about capping sliding scale. Um, Because one thing I hear very often is like, oh, we're private pay and we get our full fee. Oh, but I also have, you know, a lot of sliding scale clients, right? So yeah. how, and, and when you dig in, sometimes like half the clients are sliding scale. So you're not actually getting your full fee, but so, so tell me about how you cap it, how you have those discussions with your, your team about that as well. Yeah. I feel like a lot of trial and error, like at the beginning, <laughs> right? We, I would just say, sure, have as many sliding scale slots as you want to. Let's just get clients in the door. Right. Until I realized, wow, the difference between this clinician and what they're making and this clinician and what they're making, this is a difference that the amount of sliding scale or we were even doing pro bono, which was becoming very problematic. Um, And so I was like, we've got to set boundaries around this. And so now we have policies in our operations manual and employee manual that talk about what is our sliding scale policy. We no longer do pro bono because to us, our pro bono slots that we have are because these partners are paying for them. So it's a free service to the client, but we're still getting paid. So that's what we consider to be pro bono. In terms of sliding scale, that's for cl- that's for clients who truly can't afford the full fee. And so our bottom line is $100. It used to be 60 and we've raised it um, to 100 That's our bottom line. That's our boundary. Um, and if a clinician truly, truly feels like they you know, really want to work with a client, but the client needs something under a hundred, then they need to have that conversation with the clinical director to discuss, to get approval on that. Um, And along with that, clinicians are not allowed to have more than two sliding scale slots at a time. Um, And so that allows for us to still generate revenue, turn a profit, and also for them to make, you know, what they deserve. Um, so we, we set a lot of boundaries around that. Okay. So initially what were you having specific clinicians who had just a lot of sliding scale where they were making way less than other clinicians. Okay. So it's also comes back to equity, right. Where it was like really lopsided. Someone who's got a bleeding heart, um, is making significantly less. Um, right. So how would, if, if a group practice owner is listening and they'd love to do the same thing, um, they'd like to build a community partnership fund, like how would you suggest going about doing that? Yeah, I would say identify the organizations um, and maybe startups, you know, tech companies, um, small businesses that serve a population that is aligned with your practice, right? Your practice's mission and vision and reach out, set up a meeting to connect and discuss the ways you can support each other. Um, I think it's important to be consistent and always be clear about what you can offer in exchange for their time and resources. What people don't realize is that during the pandemic and even now, a lot of organizations have gotten grants and and 
chunks of money specifically designated for wellness for their team, to ensuring the wellness of their team. There's a lot of money out there that's not being used. And I think it's because people don't know how to use it. They don't know that, you know, partnerships like this can exist. And so it really is our job to educate people in the community and say, we're here, we're ready and we're available to work and support you. Do you need that support? And so, you know, a lot of that has been our director of equity kind of doing a lot of research and saying, wow, these, all these organizations in our area, let's just start talking to them and see what, what we can work out. You know, we we also, outside of one-on-one therapy, what we offer is um, psychoeducational workshops. So we had an organization, a nonprofit, who wanted some workshops around educating their team about secondary trauma. Um, and they were, you know, they were like, you name the price, please do a series. And so we did that. Um, there's another organization who had some ruptures between leadership and employees, and they wanted someone to come in and do a restorative circle. And so um, our director of equity said, well, I'm trained to lead restorative circles. And so she came in and did a series of that, and they compensated us. So I think by by offering a skill set and an expertise, you build that trust, right, over time, and people will seek you out when money comes in or when they have a need that comes up. Okay. And so what about, you had mentioned tech companies, like what would, what would possibly the opportunity be there? So a lot of what we've noticed is like smaller startups, okay. um, and even larger ones like Google or Apple, they have a reserve where they're either hiring clinicians to work at their company and do one-on-one therapy with their employees, or they have line items in their budget that is designated for wellness support for their staff, right? They don't have anyone in-house, but they're needing someone to offer that support. And so we're in a big tech city, right? Austin, tech companies here. And so it's great for us to be able to say, okay, we're here um, and, and we can do, you can, let's work together. What can we do together? And, and might that look like groups or are you sending a clinician one day a week to their office? Like what, what are the options um, for, for them yeah. you in? Yeah, we try to have our clinicians not travel for work as much as possible. We try to really do it in our offices. Um, so that could look like, you know, having the employer send the client directly to our client care coordinator and our client care coordinator is always aware of what partnerships do we have right uh-huh. so there's a process and if you're sending someone to us and you are you know from a specific tech company we have a partnership with and we have you know this is how the client should reach out so that we know where that you know client is coming from um, and then they get matched directly and so um, that could be you know doing that um, we haven't really led groups for organizations. I think the biggest thing we get is more speaking engagements around just psychoeducation and um, maybe even doing virtual groups um, if they need us to do that. Got it. And then earlier you had mentioned groups as one of the ways that you provide accessible cares at a lower price point. Can we can we talk about that for a little bit? Tell, tell me more about like how you structure yeah. that to, to be accessible. Yeah, so every clinician has the autonomy to lead a group 
based on what they, you know, their specialty or their niche. Um, and so we offer a lower rate. So a lower fee for service for our groups. Our groups are usually $60 a person per group session. Um, and so that is a sure way for a clinician to have a group of maybe eight clients at $60 per client per session. You know, if the group is usually about 75 minutes to 90 minutes, you know, that's a really nice chunk of change um, for not a ton of time and you're reaching more people, right? Um, so we offer those to a lot of clients in-house who we believe are kind of move, are in a good place to move out of individual therapy and maybe the next step is group. Um, or, you know, they work really well with kids and teens. Um, a lot of, you know, younger aged groups that we do. Um, parent groups, parent workshops. Um, and so that price point is much more accessible for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, our practice does a variety of groups at different seasons, you know, it just depends. Like right now it's school is starting. Yeah. So it's a great time <laughs> to, to do some groups because people are excited in the fall and they're ready to start um, something like that. Something a little more, a little more structured, Yes. Um, and do you ever offer sliding scale spots on your groups? I'm just curious. Yeah, we have. We have in the past. And um, one of the things, one of the initiatives that our director of equity started was she started um, a series of affinity groups. So identity based support groups for therapists. And those groups, essentially, the money we get from those groups go into our equity budget, right? Okay. That we reserve for scholarships or sliding scale fees, or we donate once a month to an organization, um, you know, things like that. Um, and so we try to funnel some of that money to offer maybe a free seat or two. Got it. Okay. Yeah. All right, Vanessa, it's time I ask uh, all of my guests, what is your favorite book and why? Or specifically so, favorite business book, sorry, business book. Yeah. Well, this is, I would say it's a business book, but it's more of a leadership book too. Okay. Emer Emergent Strategy by okay. Adrian Marie Brown. Um, yeah, it's, it's really wonderful if you're wanting to think about um, creating change and being a stronger leader. Okay. Creating, so Emergent Strategies. Emergent Strategy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Perfect. We will put that in the show notes. Vanessa, it's been such a pleasure um, chatting with you. Where can listeners find you if they're interested in working with you? Um, I know you have, um, you provide support for uh, group practice owners as well as solo practitioners. Where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. My handle is at braveandwell. Um, and then my website is braveandwell.com. And then our group practice is at Colors of Austin on Instagram. And then our website is colorsofaustincounseling.com. All right, very good. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. If you're looking for accounting help, head over to therapyforyourmoney.com slash accounting to find information about my accounting firm and all of our specialized services just for private practice owners. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Just head over to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a quick shout out. We really appreciate it. 
The information contained in this podcast represents the host and guest general opinions and should not be construed as personalized accounting and tax advice. Listeners should consider all facts and circumstances before applying this information and seek appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. Any info provided does not constitute accounting, tax, or legal advice.